Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Risotto. What is happening, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 107 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Risotto, and today we are joined by a former major league outfielder who played in parts of 11 seasons at the big league level from 2008 to 2018 with the Twins, Nationals, Giants, Rays, Mariners. You may recognize him. It is Denard Spann. Denard joins the show. Welcome. How you doing? And good morning. I, I appreciate you having me, man. And all is well. Um, down here in, in Tampa, Florida, and uh, just just living the dream, man. I, I have two two little ones and, and one on the way, so um, yeah, just just enjoying enjoying life and, and enjoying retirement. That's awesome, and congrats on the one on the way. Should be a, a handful there with uh, with three of them. So are you are you ready for that? <laughs> uh, we are not ready for that actually. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we we definitely are working on uh, you know zone defenses, and uh, we will. Uh, we would just take it one day at a time and, and figure it out like everybody, like, like every other parent does. Yeah. The man on man defense just goes completely out the window at that point. It is. It so. is. But we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Congrats on that. Um, and congrats on your, your foundation. The uh, Denard Span foundation uh, is doing wonders for uh, people in the Tampa area and people everywhere. Uh, I know that you focus a lot on, single parents kind of working their way through and single uh, kids of single parents. Um, so tell me how you got the foundation started and kind of what you guys do over there. Well, I, I grew up in a, in a single mother home. Um, it was myself, my, and my older brother. Um, and of course my mom. Um, but from the age of three up until I think what 14, my mom got remarried. And uh, you know, I just, I just remember vividly, you know, what it was like, you know, growing up in those conditions and, you know, just the, the difficulties, the challenges of only having one parent um, in the household. And uh, once I got to the big leagues, I kind of just told myself that, you know, I wanted to be able to give back and uh, what, what better way to give back uh, from, from something that I experienced. So um, it, it started uh, to where it you know, says internet connections unstable. But anyway, yeah, it, it just transformed to, to what it is now. And, and now, you know, we, we are, you know, opening up a lot of doors for um, a lot of families here in this, in this Tampa Bay area um, by, you know, giving them and blessing them with, with transportation, uh, which is obviously, you know, super, super important um, to a household. And, and so, you know, we, we're, we're growing, um, but we, we're doing really, really good and great things down here in, in Florida. And one thing that I saw on your website that's that's coming soon, it's called the Span Fans. And yeah. to tell me a little bit about this. I saw that it's coming soon. So, you know, starting yeah. to hype that up a little bit. Tell us about the Span Fans and what that yeah. is and what that's going to do for, for a lot of kids. Yeah, so once a month, what we do is um, we, we invite a family and a, um, to, a, to a raise game and we, we have them come into a, a suite. And, you know, I, I share my testimony with them, you know, share with them the things that I had to go through as a kid and, uh, you know, just try to try to inspire them, really, and give them a first class um, experience where that hopes that, you know, it just encourages them to, you know, want to keep pushing. This is both for the, the parents and the kids. And uh, I, actually, this started um, during my time with the Washington Nationals. Um, I would do this once a month, um, bring out a group. 
And uh, once again, just do the same thing and, and just try to give them a, a, a once in a lifetime experience in hopes that, you know, they, you know, mo most kids are visual, right? And so um, just, you know, give them an opportunity to, to see that, you know, being a major league ath uh, athlete or anything, you know, is, is possible. Yeah, there's one thing that I've noticed. I mean, there's a lot of players who don't really use their platform to give back. Uh, you did, you know, despite having, you know, maybe not the flashiest of, of baseball names nationally. Um, what would what would you do? Um, or I guess what would you tell one of the superstars or a few of the superstars in today's game that are kind of staying quiet right now, maybe early in their career um, with a chance to give back? You know, what would you tell them? the ones that are kind of staying back a little bit? I would tell them to take advantage of their platform um, to some capacity. You know, they got to where they are um, not by themselves. You know, they, they, they needed somebody's help, you know, whether it was their parents, coach, um, you know, I'm sure they had to overcome something. So um, I, I would tell them to, once again, just use their platform, um, I, and as well as for, you know, as well as because baseball is not going to, you're not going to play baseball, you know, for your entire life. You know, when you're in the game of baseball, you feel that way, but um, there, there's so much more life after, after the game of baseball. And I think that, you know, in my opinion, God put us on this earth to be more than ball players. And so, um, and also, you know, he put us on this earth to, to, to reach out and help others. So, um, what better way to use your platform that God has given you um, to, to be able to reach, you know, the pinnacle of stages to, to be able to shed, to, to be able to shed positivity and light, um, you know, just to this, to this, this country, you know, we, we all know that, you know, there's a, a lot of um, evil things going on, you know, in these days. So, you know, if, if more people could, could spread positivity, I think the, the world, the world would be a better place. Now, about a month and a half ago, you let off a few uh, really important tweets that I wanted to highlight here. Uh, you were on a plane, I noticed, and you saw a statistic that popped up on ESPN. Yeah. Um, and it had the, uh, the, the breakdown of African-American players in baseball, and it was at 7.2%. Uh, yeah. And you tweeted and said that we could do a lot better than 7.2%. And then you also said that you went on to say that until the 7.2% rises significantly baseball will continue to be the shadows of football in the shadows of football and uh, basketball don't get me wrong baseball is already great but it could be greater so tell me can you expand on that because i know that there's a lot of work going on right now uh the players alliance is doing great wonders in the inner cities um making gloves bats equipment i mean it's just so all expensive so how, mm -hmm. how do we change that how is that something that gets changed I, I really don't have the, the, that, the million dollar answer to that question. Um, you know, it's something that has been going on for some time. You know, it, it was, you know, prevalent when I was playing early in my career. I think that's when the numbers, you know, really began to, to spike, you know, downwardly as far as the numbers going down um, as, uh, with African-Americans in the game of baseball. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I just look back from my childhood, when I was a kid watching the game of baseball, um, you know, as a, as a young black kid, you know, watch, cutting on the TV and watching the game and seeing all of my favorite players that look like me, you know I mean? They weren't, they weren't Latin, they, they were African-American. And I feel like at that, you know, back in the mid nineties, I feel like the game of baseball was 
at its at its pinnacle and at its height. Um, you look at the Ken Griffey Juniors, the Kenny Loftons, like the Frank Thomases. These are guys that had like their own signature shoe. You know, when people looked at baseball, they looked at it like baseball players were, were more popular than football players and basketball players back in those days. And so I look at, you know, how the game is, has tr transitioned to what it is now. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bold enough to say I think the direct correlation is because the game is not, you know, evenly distributed among races like how it used to be. You know, you look at football and basketball, you know, those are the two sports that you cut on SportsCenter or ESPN. They talk about those sports year round. They don't talk about baseball anymore. They don't talk about even hockey anymore. You know, it's baseball. I mean, it's football and, and basketball. And, you know, I look at, you know, the numbers as far as, you know, race, African-Americans, um, you know, in that sport. And, you know, I, this is biased. You know, I, hopefully this doesn't ruffle feathers, but I, I truly believe the African-American race, like, like, um, like trends the culture, if you will, like with the music, fashion, and, and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I just think that until that number goes up from 7.2%, you know, I just think that the game of baseball is, is just going to, you know, be what it is. Once again, like I said in the tweet, it's a, it's a great game. It really is. You know, I, I, I love the game of baseball. Like, I would not trade, um, my, my journey and my path for nothing. Like I played all three sports coming up and I probably could have went the football route, but I'm glad I, I played the game of baseball because I, I just truly believe it, it is an unbelievable and a great game. But I think that until those numbers change, it, it's, it's going to, to be in the shadows. And if the game of baseball is okay with that, then who cares really? Were there teams that you played on where you were the only black player on the team? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah. I mean, coming up in coming up in the minor leagues, for sure. A um, couple of my major league teams. Yes. And if it wasn't if I wasn't by myself, it, it was maybe one other black guy on the team, you know, black player on the team. So, um, I mean, it got to, you know, you got to the point where you kind of get used to it. But um, but once again, as a kid in, in the in the early 90s, mid 90s, I mean, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it, you know, from talking to like a lot of my old coaches, you know, um, here's a, a giant legend, Sean Dunstan Jr. Um, talking to him, not junior, uh, senior, um, you know, talking to him, you know, and just, you know, just telling me, he would tell me all the time just how the game was different. And, you know, there was, there was just more, there was more black players. And so, yeah, so. Yeah, and, and you brought up a good point about how, baseball is not really being talked about i was just mentioning this to someone else some or someone else mentioned this to me if you go on espn's website there's times where you know you have the drop down menu mm -hmm. of uh nba nfl and sometimes baseball is not even not even up there like when the when pga is going on it you know, pga Crazy. golf's there and baseball's in the drop down menu like the three dots where you have to go Crazy. find the other stuff like next to like olympics and you know <laughs> so it's, it's kind of i mean and, and the reason being is because i mean it's about ratings, right? And it's about viewership. And, you know, ESPN is a, you know, they cover all sports and they're going to cover the, the sports that make them the most, the most money. And, you know, baseball, we're, 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 we're not getting that. So, um, yeah, I think we just got to find a way to, you know, tap into that, into the African-American market and, and try to, you know, get, get our community, black, the black community back into the game of baseball because, once again, when I was a kid, like baseball was like 
was a was a real thing in our community and now it's non-existent you know and so we gotta we gotta figure that out yeah absolutely let's get into your career a little bit uh you played you mentioned you played football in high school played basketball as well when did baseball kind of become prominent when did that become the prominent sport like i'm good at this i know i could you know go really far with this talent what point was that and and how did you kind of fall in love with the game oh well i i fell in love with the game when i was a little kid to be honest with you but i would say baseball and i started playing baseball at the age of five but um I probably say my uh, 11th grade year, junior year, that was when it was evident that baseball was going to be my, my career path. Um, we had just won the state championship my junior year. And um, that summer, you know, I went on a lot of uh, different showcases and uh, performed really well. I ended up making um, our the junior USA team and uh, traveled to Cuba to play. And um, so, yeah, so after that summer, it was like, okay, like baseball, baseball is number one because before that football was number one in, in, in my eyes yeah and, and you were the 30th pick by the twins in 2002 30th overall pick by the 20th pick. 20 20th of yeah 20th I, I have that written down i don't know why i saw 30th yeah it, it says 20th on my screen i don't know why i got 20th yeah 20th overall pick by the twins in 2002 out of high school um yeah don't sell yourself short yeah, 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 yeah no. <laughs> um it, it's a it's a uh on this show, I like to always ask people what they did when, or, you know, where they were when they found out they were drafted. And of course, 2002 is before the times when, um, not to date you or anything, but it was before the times where you could go on MLB network and, you know, you're there in Secaucus and, you know, you're taking pictures with the commissioner. It wasn't that at all. So tell me how you found out. No, and, and you're not dating Mrs. Gray in my hair. That's dating me. <laughs> Well, I was so, born. Uh, I was born in 2002, so that well, might be. Okay, now I see. Now you're dating me. Now, yeah. now you're dating me. It's official. Um, She's no, in violence. Yeah, yeah. So, like you said, in 02, there was there was no live telecast um, of the draft. Um, shucks, the internet was like I don't say the internet was new, but it was fairly new. But it was all done on the internet. Like it was, you know, and like each pick was going in like like one minute or so. And so I remember just being at home uh, was my, uh, of course, myself, my mom and my, and my older brother. And uh, yeah, we were there. And then we got the phone call from the, from the Minnesota twins. And, you know, that was it. We, you know, we shared a, 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 a intimate dream come, uh, dream come true moment um, as a family. And uh, we, you know, we hugged, cried and all that, all the, all that good stuff. And, but yeah, we were, it was low key. I think we might've had um, some local news stations at the house, but um, that's about it. Yeah. And I was looking at those twins teams that you played on and you, you had a chance to play on some really good teams um, that had some nice names, you know, Joe Maurer, Michael Kadire, Justin Morneau, JJ Hardy, Jason Kubel, Delman Young. These are all great names. Uh, was there a feeling that, you know, some of those teams maybe should have gone a little bit further than they actually did? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I never looking back on it, being honest, you know, I, we had really good talent and, um, you know, definitely should have, you know, made a little bit noise, um, maybe one or two of those years. Um, but, you know, I still feel like looking back, we were probably missing a piece or two to, to win it all. You know what I mean? I, don't, I, I didn't think we had enough, you know, to, to win it all. But yeah, we, we definitely had a lot of talent on our team and it was, you know, it was fun, man. I was at the beginning stages of my career 
And um, yeah, I was, was having the time of my life. And you were there when they, they opened Target Field. And I guess when we name off some of the, uh, the great ballparks in baseball, that one usually doesn't you know, come straight to mind, but from the people that I know that have been there, they say it's a beautiful ballpark and it's kind of overshadowed a little bit, you know, uh, not the most popular part of, of the, uh, the country in terms of baseball. Everybody thinks of Chicago and San Francisco and Boston. So I, I want you to hype up target field a little bit. Tell us about, you know, kind of what's impressive about it and your memories of when it opened. I'm trying to think I played there for three years, so 2010, 11 and 12. Um, I mean, we went, we went from the, the old Metrodome to that stadium. So um, you, obviously you're too young to have been to the Metrodome, but um, for maybe listeners that have played there, they could um, relate to this as far as just the, the, the amenities and the facility, you know, was, was not state of the art at the Metrodome. Um, we didn't have a weight room. The weight room was like, like in the, like in the storage area, if you will. And uh, we didn't have our own cage. Like both teams had to share a cage and a, and a weight room that was like a makeshift weight room. Um, our, our clubhouse was, you know, not not nice. Um, I, we had to share the, our, our home clubhouse. Like I, my, my locker was next to my first base coach. Um, so like you don't see that in, in today's, you know, facilities and stuff like that. Um, so as far as just moving from the Metrodome to Target Field, um, the first thing, that was noticeable was, was just our, our, our clubhouse, our, our, you know, our, our cafeteria, our, we had a state of the art, um, weight room, training room was, was unbelievable. We, uh, we had, you know, just all the different types of cold tubs and hot tubs. We had the treadmill in the water, uh, which was back in 2010, which was a big thing. Um, yeah, just all around, just to, you know, this was a beautiful uh, place to play, you know, and I've, and I've got an opportunity actually to, to watch a game there post-career. And it is, you know, it's, it's a beautiful place to, to, to watch a game. And it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's really nice. So, but like you said, I think because it's not um, in, a, in a sexy market, you know what I mean? It's in, in, in Minnesota, people, it's easy for people to, to overlook it. What is your favorite ballpark out of everything? You know, nationally, know, you like, played like, both the national. Yeah. People ask me that all the time. I'm like, I, it's hard for me to pinpoint just like one ballpark that I like just absolutely love. Like, you know, I, I can probably, you know, name four or five off the top of my head that like stuck out the most. Um, and I, and if I would say Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is a sleeper as well. The pirate stadium is a sleeper. Um, just the, the whole like uh, cityscape downtown, you know, you see the bridge and stuff like that. Um, I mean, they, they, they don't draw many fans. So kind of not the, that kind of, you know, is not the best atmosphere. But uh, I like Pittsburgh. I, I like um, I like Ridley. Um, of course, Giant Stadium, which was the old AT&T. What's it called now? Oracle Park. Oracle Park. Um, I mean, the Yan- I, I love going to New York as well and playing the Yankees. And the last one I would say is maybe Anaheim. Yeah. You're in the big leagues. Can't complain. All the exactly. Venues, huh? <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. A better question would have been like, what are like my, my top, my top worst stadiums probably. Okay. Yeah. Where's the top worst stadiums? Oakland, <laughs> Tampa. And this is home for me. Um, Toronto. So like Cincinnati. the Cincinnati. domes, you don't like the domes. Most of the domes are not, yeah, they're not great. 
Um, I was going to say, I don't know, Cincinnati sticks, sticks out too. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, I would say those, those, those four right there. So we know we just pissed off like two. Uh, <laughs> no, you're, you're good. Uh, so lead off, uh, you, you hit in the lead off spot quite a bit in your career. And um, it was something that, you know, a lot of baseball people regarded you as one of the best leadoff hitters in baseball, um, I guess, pertaining to that specific spot in the batting order. Is there a skill to it? Is there a skill to being a good leadoff hitter? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Um, a lot of it is just being like selfless. You know, as a leadoff hitter, like you got to put your team first a lot of the times. Uh, you know, I've spoken on this before on, on other interviews as far as, you know, my first at bat of, of a game was always for my team. You know, I was up there not trying to get, I mean, obviously the object's always to try to get a hit, but I was trying to see as many pitches as possible. You know, even if I got an out, but I saw at least five pitches, like I, that felt like a hit for me because I gave my team the opportunity to, you know, see the other pitchers, maybe hopefully all of his pitches in the first inning where most, most starting pitchers don't, don't want to show you everything, you know, that first, first time around. Um, and then also I was able to come back to the bench and, you know, give them information on what I saw. So um, I think, uh, you know, that's one part of it. Another part of it is like not being afraid to hit with two strikes, you know, being able to, you know, uh, put the battle on the ball, you know, and, and uh, yeah, just be okay with, you know, scoring runs. Like that's, that's your job. My job, my job is to get on base and score runs and uh, which is a dying breed in today's game, but we ain't gonna go there. Yeah. Uh, and I guess now you're seeing, uh, you're seeing a lot of leadoff hitters that, are basically able to hit anywhere else in the lineup. Like I know here in San Francisco uh, last year when the Giants had a few guys out, Darren Ruff was hitting leadoff. And there's you know a bit of a different style. He's a power guy, obviously. Um, but Gabe Kapler's reasoning was, you know, Darren Ruff puts up good at-bats. You know, he sees pitches, you know. What do you think about that trend of the leadoff hitter kind of going away from um, our managers kind of going away from putting the, the speed guy who gets on base – who could steal a base and moving it into kind of like a, you know, just another spot in the order, like, you know, a spot in the middle of the lineup. Yeah. Like I, I agree with, you know, and the giants are the only team that does that. You know, a lot of other teams do that where they put a guy that normally is probably a five or six hole hitter, but they put them lead off. And the reason being is because like what you just said, they have good at bats. They see a lot of pitches. Like that's one of, that's one of the many traits of a leadoff hitter, you know what I mean? But to me, the other trait is once, once you get on base, once, once he walks, once Darren Ruff walks, how many hits is it going to take for him to score? Whoever's hitting behind him, if they hit a double, he's at third. Where the traditional leadoff hitter, you hit a double, he's scoring from first. Or he's stealing second to get in scoring position. So now it only takes a single, you know what I mean, to, to, to get him in. So that to me is where it's like, I, you know, I'm on the fence about, you know what I mean? I don't, you know, I, that's where the game has changed. And I, you know, the, 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 the singles type hitter is not valued um, like it used to be, you know what I mean? The speed is not valued like it used to be. Um, but that, you know, that to me is baseball. That's, you know, manufacturing runs that, you know, you just don't, you don't see as much in this game, but I, I think that give it some more time. I think it, it will get back to that. You know what I mean? I think at, at some point we're going to, I think 
the game is going to realize that, hey, like that's, you know, manufacturing runs and, you know, it, it you know, it's difficult to score runs. So you have to bring that element, you know, back into the game. So I think it, it'll settle somewhere in the middle where, you know, a guy has to be somewhat athletic, you know what I mean, in, in order to, you know, be in those first first two spots of the lineup. Do you think we're going to see base stealing come back? I think so. Once again, I, I think that's another, you know, I think once we, I think the game, you know, obviously in the last, I don't know, four or five years has gone through a transition of, you know, the, the home run and the launch angle and the analytics and stuff like that. And, I, and I'm all for it. You know what I mean? But I think there's still a, another element of, of the game, old school game, that the game was played a certain way for a long time. So I think that, at some point, the new school, the analytics, and the old school is going to have to, you know, meet in the middle. Right now, I don't think it's quite – it's more like 75, 25, or 70, 30. But I think, at, you know, at some point, it's going to have to be – even if it's 65, 35, or 55, you know, what's my math? 55, 45. Um, it's going to have to, you know, come in, in that range. And I think once it does that, then I think you'll start to see, you know, more base filling you know, more sack bunts and uh, more base hit bunts and stuff like that. And, you know, you're a guy who was a really good defensive center fielder and I'm sure took a lot of pride in your defense out there. Is there anybody that you watch in today's game in center field that, you know, kind of catches your eye? I know you got a really good one there in Tampa. Is there anybody else? I would, yeah, I mean, Kiermaier, he's the main one that I, you know, and and maybe that's because I, I don't, Honestly, other than the Rays, I don't watch a whole lot of baseball. You know, their local team, I actually work for the Rays. So uh, I would say him, Brett Phillips, you know, he's a good outfielder as well. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm miss. I'm obviously missing. I feel like, uh, what's it, the center fielder for the, for the Cardinals is really good. Was it Bader? Harrison it Bader, yep. Yeah, he, uh, I've seen him make some nice plays. Um, yeah, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of if any other that, and that's honestly because I don't watch a lot of baseball other than what I said yeah no for sure uh and then kind of continuing on your your career you went to Washington after the 2012 season uh in a trade w- was that a trade that you saw coming or was it kind of a shock being being traded to DC no I you know what's funny like I most people like you like oh, I didn't know I was gonna get traded like the year before in 2011, I believe it was like, there were rumors of, you know, the, the twins starting to shop me a little bit, or, or maybe the national, it was either that or the, the Nats were very, you know, super or very um, interested in me. So I, you know, it, it was some rumors the year before it didn't happen. Um, I think the following year, Ben Revere kind of, he, he, he emerged on the scene. And, you know, he was younger, making, you know, a pre-arb guy, making league minimum. Um, so I, I, after 2012 season, I kind of felt like something was going to happen. But, you know, until it does, you, you, you know, you really don't know what to do. So I was still, it was still a shock, even though I, I kind of, you know, I felt like something was going to happen at some point. Um, but, yeah, and then, I mean, they, the Twins traded me and they ended up trading Ben Revere as well. So it was a crazy offseason that year. Yeah, now they have the, another guy that could go get him. Oh, Buxton. How, Byron I Buxton. How, how forget Buxton? How forget him? No, yeah. Yeah, I would say Kiermaier and Buxton might be the, in my opinion, unless I'm forgetting somebody else, but those might be the two best defensive center fielders in the game. Yeah, it just came to my mind, too. Yeah, I'm like, what am I, yeah what am I thinking? 
Yeah, well, if he's healthy, he's one of the best players in the American League for sure. He might be one of the best players in the game. Yeah. If he's healthy, like, come on. Yeah, and I know the twin the twins are kind of reducing his workload a little bit. He's playing, I think every I think he's getting every third day off, uh, which is interesting. And maybe that goes away if they're in the hunt in, in September or whatnot. Uh, and one guy, another great talent in the game that you got to play with in, in DC is Bryce Harper, and he was still yeah. young Bryce Harper at the time. Yeah. Um, and I think he was he was very you know everybody kind of used the term overrated at first. Now I think he's underrated. Now everybody's kind of looking at the flashy talent with Acuna and Soto and Tatis, and Bryce has kind of gone under the radar a little bit. Uh, what was it like, kind of getting to know him and playing with him for a few years and and seeing his uh, competitive edge, I guess, up close and personal. Yeah. When I, when I played with him, he was, he was very young. Like, I think he might've been like 20, 21 or just, yeah, maybe 20 or 21. And you no doubt saw the talent. Like he was, you know, heads over heels way better than, you know, majority of us on that team that were grown men. And, you know, it was amazing just to see at the age of 20, 21, where most of us were in low A at that age, you know, just to see the things that he was doing. So, you know, just from a physical standpoint, like he was, he was no doubt like a big leaguer and an elite one. Um, as at a young age, the only thing I saw was, you know, mentally he, he quite wasn't ready yet. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, it, it's been, you know, awesome to see, you know, over the last four or five years, how he's matured. And uh, like you said, like, you know, people almost don't even talk about him now. And a lot of it, I think, too, is that he, he's just going out there and taking care of business. You know what I mean? He's going out there playing the game hard, and, and I think he's matured. He, he's he's kind of considered like an old head now. You know, he, I think he's pushing 30 now or 29, 30 years old. And, um, you know, they, you got these young bucks, you know, uh, the, the Sotos and the Acunas that are 22, 23 that, um, you know, are obviously good, but they're, like, they're, they're flashy as well. And I think Bryce isn't as flashy as he used to be because he's gotten older. He, you know, he's a family man now, has you know wife and kids, and um, yeah, he's 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 you know I can I'm, I always say this I'm, I'm gonna be able to tell my 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 kids and my grandkids that I played with him. That's awesome. Yeah, and then I guess two other guys that you played with that uh, we're gonna be comparing a we're gonna be comparing these next two guys a lot with each other as the Hall of Fame talk kind of uh, gets closer. Joe Mauer and Buster Posey, uh, you played with. Mauer, of course, in Minnesota and Posey yeah. once you got to San Francisco. Uh, and, and they kind of seem like very similar personalities, you yeah. know, the, the quiet leader type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was kind of what kind of separates those guys from from the rest in, in a big league clubhouse? I think the game comes like at a different speed to them than most other people. Like watching watching you know I played with Joe longer than I did with, with Buster but like like you said very similar and Joe was like just always like even keel you never saw his blood pressure rise um you know no matter what the the magnitude of the game or the situation um I, he, he was just just gifted like God just you know when when he when God made him like God sprinkled a little extra on on both of those guys and you could just tell it like it just came so easy and and buster as well like you know that there were guys that that both worked hard but like they weren't like over overachieving hard workers but they were they you know obviously got the most out of their ability and talent 
but I, I just feel like the, the game, to, you know, the game is just just slower for, for them. And, and just watching them, you know, play on a, on a day in and day out basis, like it was evident that, you know, they were on a different level. And, and uh, like you said, like th- those are probably the two, two guys that I play with that, that, you know, made me, uh, that reminded me of each other, you know, when I was around them, just like you say, really quiet, not, not flashy, you know, didn't like the spotlight and, you know, just good teammates, good people. And um, yeah, just, just really selfless. And uh, during your time in San Francisco, uh, a lot of people remember you, you had a few splash hits in, that went into <laughs> that went in the McCovey Cove. Yeah. I think there's like 93 or 94 of them at this point. Uh, but I think uh, I gotta hit- be at least a spot for at least like six or seven of those probably. Yeah, you hit a few, you hit a lot. Yeah. I think it was like five of them or something. I, yeah. I have to double check that. But I mean, and, and you know, Barry Bonds has like 35 of them. I know Pablo Sandoval's maybe in the, you know, low teens, I think. And then okay. um, Belt's got a few of them, Crawford. Uh, but I mean, did when you make contact with the ball in San Francisco and you hit it well out to right, like, do you know that it's going in there or do you have to like look at the screen after you get back to the dugout, you look at the scoreboard and you see it's floating in there. What is yeah. kind of the, uh, the feeling of hitting a splash hit in San Francisco? Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, at least when I was hitting, I never thought about that. I didn't, you know, I never thought like, Oh, when I hit that, like when I hit a certain pitch, like, Oh, like that's going in the water. I never thought about that. Um, I think, you know, the, the more, the more I was there or the more, you know, home runs I hit, which it was not a lot, but I think, uh, you know, I, I would start to, you know, have a, a good feeling for when I, you know, really got into one. So I wasn't surprised when, you know, certain, certain balls that I hit got into the water. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely nothing that I thought about. Uh, most of, most times I didn't know I, you know, got it into the McCovey Cove until I saw the replay. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. You hit splash hit 70, 71, 74, 75, 78. So, I mean, that's five of them for you. Uh, so, I mean, and then two, two of them. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty solid showing right there. Um, and I, I guess another thing is um, a lot of people remember you for making that catch to save Matt Moore's, you know, what would have been the mm. – the the Matt Moore uh, no yeah. hitter. What do you remember from that night in in LA? Because I know a lot of Giants fans listen, so that's why I'm kind of going Giants heavy here. What do you remember yeah. from that uh, sliding catch there in, in Dodger Stadium? I, I thought for sure when I made that catch that there was no that that there was no way that he was not going to get a, a no hitter. There's always game. a play. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, that's this is the play. Like when I made it, like I, I was I was pumped up for him. You know what I mean? Like you know I, I've seen it so many other times where. Um, Gregor Blanco, you know what I mean? And, and so many other players, like you said, make a play, an extraordinary play for their pitcher. And, uh, and it's almost one of those plays where it's like, you know, something, something different is, is happening in the ballpark. Something special is about to happen. And uh, yeah, he just came up, I think it was one out, one out short, one or two out short. But I just remember, you know, Matt Moore just dealing that night. You know, he, he was, you know, everything from my, my point of view in center field, he had the Dodgers off balance. You know, he had his changeup going. I think he even had his little slider cutter going. And uh, his, his fastball was on point, pinpoint, hitting his spots. So, uh, yeah, he just had everything firing on all cylinders that night. Yeah, that, that Giants team, if, if the division series goes back to uh, 
to Chicago with Cueto on the mound. I think I think we're looking at a little bit of a different uh, outcome. And not to ruin yeah. the Cubs' magical year that year, but you know what I'm saying. They, yeah, they. I mean, yeah. If we go back for a game five, I, I think we win that. I think we win that. Um, I, I, I just remember I've, I've told this to a lot of people as well. Like, I, you know, I, I've, I, I observe body language. You know, we went down 0-2 to them. The first two games were at, at Wrigley. They beat us. We came in back to back home to San Francisco for game three. And you could just tell, you know, our, our dugout was by, you know, third is on the third baseline. And you can just, you know, I remember just seeing Chris Bryant, you know, at, at third base. He was, you know, uh, full of energy. He, you know, so they the whole team just had their had, you know, had their swag. It was because they were up 2-0. You know what I mean? So we win, you know, we win game three, it's two one. So the next day it's like, they, you know, they're, they're still feeling good about themselves. They're still in control. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same energy as it was the day before, but they were still confident. Don't get me wrong. And which they should be, they're up two one. They're still in the driver's seat. And so I remember, you know, I don't remember all the, I, you know, my mind is, is I don't have the best memory, but I, I do remember, you know, us coming back and we were ahead going into the, going into the top of the ninth right yeah and and you know we had had a you know we it was been a back and forth game that that game and I think we took the lead and I think we we're up by two runs maybe two or three runs yeah going into the top of the ninth and I remember in the in the bottom of the eighth looking at observing looking at their body language on the field yeah they, they came back and beat us but I, I vividly remember looking at Chris Bryant and um, the, the shortstop Baez, if he, I think he was playing short tonight, but I remember Chris Bryant for sure. And their body language was totally different because they knew they were in trouble. They went from a 0-2 to now it's about to be 2-2. And if we go back to a game five, you know, anything can happen. But um, I always tell people that, yeah, if we would have pulled that game out, I think we, uh, I don't want to say uh, we would won the World Series, but you know, who knows, you know, anything, anything could happen, but it, it would, have, I, th I think we would have won that series for sure. Yeah. With Cueto back at Wrigley for, for game five there. Yeah. Um, and then I guess after the, after the season, the, uh, the giants are after the, uh, a little later on, I think you played another year there. The giants dealt you back home. You're going yeah. back home to, to Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was that like playing for your hometown team? Cause I know you kind of grew up going to games at, in, in Tampa and, I guess the, the real question is, and the most important question is, how many tickets did you leave for all your family when you were there? I, I can't, I lost count. Like, it was, <laughs> especially opening day, you know, I, I left a lot of, you know, a lot of tickets for opening day. Um, yeah, it was, it was just a special moment, special time. Um, it was something that, you know, I, I always like dreamed of doing or, 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 you know, talked about in my, you know, to myself about wanting to come back and play for the Rays you know, um, like maybe my last year or something like that as a free agent. Um, but I, but at the same time, like that's, you know, just kind of like, me, you know, myself just dreaming. I never thought that it would actually come into fruition. And, uh, you know, just but for it to come into fruition and, and for me just to be able to play in front of my mom, um, in front of a lot of my like high school coaches and little league coaches, um, you know, people that hadn't seen me play baseball since high school. You know what I mean? Like got an opportunity to come see me play. So um, it, it was a dream come true um, to, to be able to, to, to play in my home city. Did you have to pay for those tickets? 
Did do players pay for those tickets that they that they, they uh, do now? Now <laughs> I, I can't remember. I can't remember. I, I know at one point you didn't have to like early in my career, mm-hmm. and then it got to a point where you had to pay the tax on it. So I I think yeah I had to pay like the, like the tax on the ticket or something like that. So yes, I did have to pay a portion of it. Yeah, that's a lot of tickets. And uh, last thing here before we wrap up, uh, you mentioned you work for the Rays special assistant in baseball operations. Uh, what's it like seeing now the front office side of things? It's all it's it's to, it's totally different, but it's uh, <laughs> I, I like it though. I like it, man, because um, you get an, I, I get an opportunity just to see you know how decisions are made. Um, I, I get an opportunity just to like you know dig deeper into the game of baseball. You know things that I I didn't think of while I was on the field playing. Um, you know, there's people behind the scenes that are working hard. Um, to, to, you know, make sure that, you know, that team or the organization is put in the best possible position to, to be successful. So um, more than anything, it's made me appreciate, you know, the non-players more than, you know, I, I did when I was playing. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's been cool. Man. It, it's been a good experience so far. Denard, I really appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. We got a lot of, of information and, uh, yeah. and uh, it was a pleasure having you on the show, man. No problem. I appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, man, good luck. And yeah, you did. I thought you did a great job. So keep it up. Thank you. I appreciate that. And you guys could follow Denard on uh, Twitter uh, at this is D span. And then of course uh, his foundation as well is on Twitter as well at D span foundation. And then you could check it out on Denard span foundation.org. And then the podcast, you could find it on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Rizzocast. And then wherever you find your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, all that good stuff. And see you next time.